you got to build a real brand. Like throw the word authentic out the window. Anytime someone tries to pitch me with authentic, I go, screw you because you're, <laughs> you're clearly faking it, which yep. is why you had to use that word to begin with. You know, and my response is just be real. You know, like when in terms of the, the video quality, it's like if you have to just take your phone and video yourself and you're like, well, it doesn't look like professional. Like, blah, blah. No, no, no. That's great because it's real. Right. And people are starved for real. Welcome to the SMB Ops Show, an exploration into the mental models and decision processes of operators. I am Joshua Schultz, and with me today is Will Roman from Chisos Boots. Will has been growing a local boot brand for the last three years and is building quite a community. Today, he shares with us how he thinks about building that brand and company, the tools he uses to run his business, and how important the right person is when you're in the hospitality business. I think the most important thing that Will gets into today, though, is marketing and brand building and how all of this leads to building a community of close customers. He drops a lot of useful information, and I think that you're going to learn as much as I did on this. I am here with Will Roman down in Austin, the chief Texan, starter, founder, operator of Chisos Boots. Will is one of the first people that I met when I moved to Austin, one of the coolest people that I met when I moved to Austin. And... I think we've become pretty good friends. I don't know. What do you think? Are we, uh, Absolutely, are we on the road? man. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for jumping on here today. I'm, I'm excited. I know a little bit about your business. I go to your business all the time. We have your products in our house. I'm excited to learn a little bit about how you operate your business because it is not just retail and it is not just manufacturing. It's a little bit of both. And I think that's really neat that you are controlling the product and the brand all the way through. So I think you'll have a little bit for everybody here. So Will. Welcome to the uh, SMB Op Show. Howdy, howdy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So why don't you tell us your business and, and just really briefly what it is that you do? Yeah, we make damn comfortable cowboy boots. <laughs> and we make them old school. We make them tough. And yet we bring a little bit of some new thinking to, to the old paradigm of the leather cowboy boots. Gotcha. And how many locations do you have right now? So we have we are primarily an e-commerce business. 86% of the sales are through the internet. And we have our flagship store right here in Austin. And you can come up, you can walk up to the shop. We've got our, our retail store. We've got our, our studios where we film everything. We do our own fulfillment. Everything happens right here. Yeah. And I want to dive into that later because you do some cool stuff with that property. So we can we can jump into that in a little bit. And so you sell boots, you've got your shop, like you said, mostly e-com. And how did you get into this? What is, how did you go from whatever you were doing to selling boots in Austin, Texas? I don't know if this is appropriate for, for broadcast, but I like to say I walked into it ass backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the and, truth um, is the truth. You know, I mean, so I, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I guess the, the, the short version is that, I mean, I, you know, I look, I moved out of my parents' house when I was 15, different reasons, different podcasts. And, and made my way in the world. And I've always started things. And previous to this, I was I had a, a, a technology, financial technology startup with some buddies that are a lot smarter than I am. And I had gone out to West Texas, which is, you know, my happy place with the Chisos Mountains, which we're named after. And while I was out there, came up with the idea for, for making a better cowboy boot. I mean, I, I have a bad back. I've got stuff I've had to deal with. And so I wanted something more comfortable. I really didn't set out to make a company. I just was trying to make a product that I wanted. And, and what is the boot market like? I mean, who, like, what are the major players? Where are they sold? What is driving this market? Just a quick synopsis of, of what the boot market is. Yeah, the U.S. market is actually pretty big. I mean, there's $3 billion with a B dollars worth of boots sold every year in the United States. And half of those are bought right here in Texas. Really? Which is pretty, yeah, pretty wild. I, I did not know that that large of a market share was right here in the state. It's crazy. And it's dominated by Berkshire Hathaway, which owns Justin, the largest boot company in the world. Lucchese, which I would say is probably the biggest of the classics, like the old school, they're 150 years old. You've got Ariat, which is basically like Adidas. They're made in China mostly, and, and, and they're more of like a sneaker shoe. And then you've got some newcomers in the space like Tacobas, who I believe crossed 200 million in revenue last year. And so the, the, the primary market is, you know, is Texas, secondary is United States in general. We personally sell all over the world, but those, those are the big players. And, 
And some of it's made in America, but I mean, 90% plus is, is all of the handmade stuff is going to be made in, in Mexico. Gotcha. And how common is that to have textile products made in Mexico for in the boot market? Is that kind of the go-to place or is that just where, where you chose to figure this oh, out? Oh, no, I mean, that's that's 90%. So I okay. mean, that, that is the most common place. So, you, most leather, so Leon, Mexico is the leather capital of North America. So if you're getting designer bags, you're getting Kohan shoes, you're getting anything that requires, the, you know, seats for your truck probably come from Mexico, oh, wow. if, okay. if not China at that size. Wow, all right. Okay, so you're in the Chisos Mountains or out near there, and you decide you want a better boot. One, why a better boot? And what was the first thing you did? I mean, how do you go from idea to, I'm going to basically design my own custom boots and figure out Leon? <laughs> so, you know, before Chisos, in the before times BC, there were, you could get a, a handcrafted boot. You could go find either an individual maker, that's the other side of the market, or you could go maybe with a Lucchese Classic, which is a, still a mass-produced boot, but using some traditional methods. Or if you want something comfortable, you had to go to the opposite side and get like an Ariat, you know, made in China, like a sneaker. And I wanted, I wanted both together. And so I, I would get, I would basically I would buy, you know, cowboy boots too big and put inserts in them. And it just felt like I was wearing clown shoes. And I was like, there's just got to be a better way. And, and so that's, that was the impetus. And I started reaching out to my network and a guy that I went to college with is from Mexico and his family had had some relationships. And so I, I went down there and got on the ground and, and just booked a flight. You know, one of the things with, you know, Chinese manufacturing, you know, you've got Alibaba, they're used to working internationally, they use WhatsApp constantly. But Mexico is very much relationship driven, <laughs> yes. and pen and paper and on the ground. Yep. Yeah, you're very familiar with this. Yeah, if you're not looking at them face to face, you're not having a real conversation, regardless of what the content says in the email or the telephone call. <laughs> that is a lesson that I am still learning. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I got I got down there and I knocked on a lot of doors and I actually started working there. So there are four. Here's some inside baseball a little bit. There are four giant factories that focus on cowboy boots in Leon. And you go down there and all the major brands, you'll see Justin, Toilama, Lucchese, Dan Post, COVID, doesn't matter. They're all coming out of the same places. And I'm going to set you up here. Which one of those is your boots made in? <laughs> None of them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Sounds good. Well, and, 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 and part of that is, you know, I was learning, learning the lay of the land and I went and I was, I was down there and I, and most of this is, this is, you know, January, 2019, I started the process and I, and I rented an Airbnb and just spent, you know, a good 25, 30% of the year was physically in Mexico and the rest of it was coming back and forth. But I started working with one of those big guys and I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to change things, you know, let's think about why, why are you reducing the quality you know so i one of the things i started doing a little backstory is i started cutting open the other boots to see how they were made you know i went to i bought books on boot making they still have printed books on this stuff and i was teaching myself and i was cutting them open i was doing what i could and i realized that a lot of these when they went to mass manufacturing a lot of corners were being cut a lot of cheap materials and plastics were being utilized and so i didn't want to do that and the big manufacturers didn't want to work with me and, you know, I got, I got laughed out of the building at three of them. And, and, and the fourth one at least was entertaining me. And I was like, Hey, well, what if we, you know, let's go back to the old school methods or let's, let's start using full leather heel counters and let's do things properly. And they're like, that's going to disrupt our entire assembly line. And in the middle of that process, one of the big boys who will remain unnamed, but rhymes with AC starts with Luke. <laughs> um, <laughs> Basically went to the manufacturer and said, "Hey, we'll place a massive purchase order if you will just stop working with this this small supplier." And that's what happened. My favorite visual, obviously, I wasn't there; I didn't know you. But my favorite visual that you talk about is standing there with all your stuff in front. Just yeah, I have a I have a photo <laughs> of me holding bags of of my last and my raw materials in front of the factory, being like, "Well, what do I do now?" No, nah, what's now? So. What's really interesting is that they were so set up for efficiency that they weren't even willing to bend. And you are basically saying, I bet somewhere in the U.S., probably in Texas, there is at least somebody that wants to buy a boot made properly and that will pay extra for that properly made boot. I guess my question is, was that small group of people 
as big or as small as you thought it was? Like, were you surprised when you started selling these things and telling people that your story? I mean, because your story that you just told is also your marketing story. I mean, from the cutting of the boots to to how you make your boots, right? That's your brand. And so how how have you found that community to exist and grow as you've been sharing that story? So be- before I answer that, do you want me to answer that? Or do you want to talk about where we ended up pivoting to and getting manufactured? We should just skip over that. Yeah, you can go into that. Let's talk about how you got into your next manufacturer, and then we can talk about your your market that kind of grew from that up here up here in Austin. Getting kicked out of that that big one was really the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, up until this point, I still really wasn't trying to start a business. I was making something that I wanted, and I was going to make it for some friends. And getting kicked out really pissed me off. And I said, "All right, okay, that's how it's going to be." And so I had, luckily I had made friends with some of the guys down on the shop floor. And so I was like, "Hey, what <laughs> what now, y'all?" And they were like, well, you should go talk to so-and-so. You should talk to so-and-so. And I did. And turns out there's a lot of little guys in the outskirts of Leon and in the broader state of Guanajuato who are still making things old school and are willing to experiment and are willing to consider, well, what if we adjust the arts? What if we work with some new materials? What if we go back and we use, why are we buying the cheap cuts of leather? Let's buy the thick center cuts for the soles. And so that relationship was really much more aligned with the what I was trying to create. And you could call it values, you know, but I want I just want to make something I was proud of. I want to make something that was going to last. I want to make something that has some craft to it. And uh, turns out there's a lot of people up here that that want that as well. Yeah, that's really neat. I think what you're saying too is something I've seen in my in my industry in the past where I would spend a lot of time in China and Taiwan and there was always these central you know, producers of nuts and bolts and screws that were huge and that were used by, you know, GE and whoever. But then that talent would leave, get sick, start their own smaller shop on the edge of town. And just like you said, there were these smaller cold heading and machining places where you could get stuff that was higher quality. Uh, It was cheaper in a lot of cases, but they didn't have websites. They weren't out marketing. They were just making for a small local niche kind of. And finding those is actually what helped us build Chess Group because we were able to build direct relationships and do things that where these big companies are only talking to four, you know, they're going to talk to Boeing and GE and that's it. All of a sudden they're talking to us, a small $2 million company in Syracuse, New York. And it's a whole different game. It allows you to bring a new value to your customer. So that playbook I think can be used over and over. And I've, I've, I've seen it a few times. And it's cool to hear you talk about it too. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. So, so you do that, you come back and now you've got this market. You said it started out as a few friends. How many friends did you end up having? <laughs> We're at several thousand now. <laughs> That's awesome. But you know, I, I think that here's here's the thing. You know, I, I was having a discussion the day, and you know, for instance, you know, about efficiency versus craft. And you know, I know the number of boots that we can produce at maximally capacity with our current setup, and and it's a lot smaller than what the our competition is making. You know, there are reasons why they made those trade-offs when you get to these to, to scale. And you, you really, you know, there, there, look, there's certainly a world if you want to go out and you want to chase, you know, 200, 300 million in, in annual revenue, you know, God bless you. But that's not the game I'm in. And I've chosen not to be in that game. You know, I think there's, there's quite a nice life and world to be in in the 10 to 20 million dollars in revenue world and it allows you to to make decisions about what you're creating and an analogy I, w- I would think about is food production i just signed up for a local grass-fed grass-finished beef delivery here in austin and you know it's coming from local ranchers and it's 16 dollars a pound and one of my friends was like oh how are how are they you know, at scale, how are they how are they making cash on this? And I said, listen, you can't at scale. You can't sell to the country and and have an entire supply chain and be able to provide that quality at that price. But guess what? You can within a hundred mile radius. And you know, I think that there's this really, you know, now I'm getting into the philosophy of manufacturing, but I think that there's this interesting shift that starts that is starting to take place where people are going, look, we don't want to sacrifice quality. And we don't want to put, you know, pour lead into the drinking supply. And so maybe we shouldn't be serving all 340 million Americans. Maybe we should be focusing on smaller, smaller markets. And here's the, here's the upside for that is that 
then you don't need as much capital, and then you own more of what you produce, and then you end up actually having a higher personal net. Yep. So the, there's a couple things there. One, one of them, we see this in history, large kingdoms that sprawled far ended up crumbling at the edge and then eventually crumbling at headquarters, right? You see the Roman Empire and all these large empires, the more they tried to spread out, the higher the burden of maintaining the kingdom or the empire, and the more a kind of disruption started to happen through political or whatever. And that same thing goes with supply chains, right? History repeats itself. Systems are systems. They work the same way, whether it's people, kingdoms, or supply chain. The further you try to stretch that out to gain an extra 5% cost efficiency, you know, two continents over, you're also going to add all this complexity and you're going to be kind of maintaining this higher burdened supply chain. And so I think what you've done is said, you know, I, well, I think for decades, it's been, how do we play this game? Whether we're small or big, how do we play this game? And you said, well, wait a bit, I don't have to play this game. I can play a totally different game and I'm perfectly happy doing so. And all of a sudden, happiness, like you said, more big, bigger piece of the pie and, and doing better. This is why I love talking to you, Josh. You take my redneck <laughs> ramblings and you turn them into an, an academic statement. <laughs> you, you talked about how you kind of are, are choosing not to play that game. And if I had to pick a word to describe what you're doing from knowing you, I think cultivate would be the word I would use. I've noticed you are constantly cultivating a group of friends, a community, events, your space, your Chiso space is all carefully put together, right? With, with, with an end goal in mind. And so I, I, I probably haven't prepared for this question. So I'm going to put you on the spot and you can think about it for a second. But what is it in you that is doing that? Because and you can share, you can share about what you're doing because you do events. Like I said, you're carefully cultivating. There are certain events that you invite certain people to, not out of exclusivity, but just out of this is a certain feel that I'm going for at this point. And, you know, this don't bring your kids this time or this time bring your kids. And there's you're purposeful about everything you do. And that's why I say, like, whenever I think about you, you are always carefully cultivating every aspect of probably your life, but also your business. Well, I, I appreciate that. That's, that's a high praise coming from you, man. Yeah. So to, to give the, the listeners context, I'm, I'm looking at my board a board in my office here right now that has, you know, I have two things on it, which is one, my master plan. And next to it is Walt Disney's master plan, which if you've never seen it, I recommend you look it up. He has just all the arrows. The arrows are great. I love them. Just so many arrows. But he, but he's, he's drawing this universe, this world where Disneyland interacts with the films, which interacts with comic strips, interacts with licensing and television and music. And, and they all feed off of each other. And, you know, essentially, you know, I'm, you know, what you're asking is partially what motivates me and I, and, and what's driving me. And I, and, and it's that I'm attempting to create a community that I get to live and be in and participate in that I didn't have growing up and I don't, yeah. And, and so this is, this is, you know, Chisos is, yes, it's, it's a, you know, so Chisos is ultimately it's a framework for me to provide for my future family. You know, I don't have kids yet, and but you know, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I'm essentially I, I realized this over the past couple of years. I've been subconsciously solving for the for the things that I experienced growing up, and so one of them, you know, was that having, like you said, you have this gathering place, you bring people together. You, I want to be doing something that's point zero 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 one positive on the world. You know, I don't need to change the world. But I don't want to pour, you know, poison the drinking water either. And and I think that you can have a really positive impact on the people immediately around you. And you can create experiences for them and you can provide them with products that are gonna make their lives just a little bit better and provide some 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 small amount of happiness. And and so that's really what everything we do revolves around. That's why to me it matters when it comes into the shop that everybody gets greeted, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how many people are here. You know, it matters that things are laid out in a way that's easily and approachable. It matters that we still answer our phones and we, we, we try and throw these events. And like you said, sometimes we have family-friendly ones and sometimes we have, you know, ones that are more going to be like date night or, or adults. Sometimes it's just guys get together to talk business. So the, the big thing for me is, is, is that I think this goes with when you don't, we will scale to a point where, you know, where I don't know everybody, you know, of course, you know, in terms of like customer base. But like you could still have that that kind of slow human interaction with people. And so we 
anyway, now I'm, I'm pontificating, but we're, we're, everything we do is set up to make sure that that stays with us as we grow. Okay. So, so as somebody that's being purposeful about this and cultivating this, let's get into some of the nuts and bolts and it'll be a foray into kind of you running Chisos now that we understand what Chisos is, because I think it was important for everybody to understand it's not just a boot company. It is more than that. It, and it's not just a quality boot company, right? It's, it's kind of this, and, and I'm going to, this is not your words, everybody, this is my own words, but you're, you're trying to bring your experience in Texas in the culture to other people. And so you've told me lots of stories about why you name things certain way or ideas that you've had. And it always drives back to, well, me and my friends growing up, and this is how we felt. This is a community we felt. This is the love we felt. This is the experience we had in the outdoors. I want everybody to at least have the opportunity to experience that, right? And Chisos is kind of your vehicle, right? We're going to start with boots, but it's going to be about more than boots. It's going to be about getting back to values and getting back to the outdoors and getting back to community and people, right? And by this time, everybody knows and gets why you're becoming one of my closest friends here in Austin, because you're just a high quality individual that I love hanging out with. But so let's take that that you're doing and let's let's dive in. What are the things day to day that you care about most in your business? And what are the things that you see? And if they go wrong, they frustrate you because you feel like you hurt your brand. And what are the things that you were adamant about? Yeah, so let's try and separate this into some columns here. I think that there, there's going to be, you know, the, the customer hospitality side, there's going to be, which is closely related to the brand, which would be a, say in the middle. And then finally, perhaps there's going to be, you know, the financial side of things and, and the health of the company. So I'll start, I'll go in that order. I mean, I'm, I am fundamentally a brand guy. I think that I figured out that that's kind of, you know, my superpower is, understanding how people are going to perceive things before they experience them. And so, you know, to us, it's it's paramount that when you interact with Chisos, you are treated with respect and you feel important. You know, I think that when people go through their everyday lives, personally, when I go through my everyday life, I don't feel important in most interactions, you know, whether it's ordering a burger or sitting in traffic or trying to buy something from some company, and people are entrusting, you know, our cheapest pair of cowboy boots is 550 bucks currently. You know, prices just went up 20%. So we'll see. <laughs> but, you know, that's a lot of money for people to entrust us with. And they've traded hours of their lives to make that money. And then they're giving it to us. And so we want to we be respectful of that. So the this is maybe the why behind it. And so I very care, much care about, you know, phone answer rates times for emails and texts and callback times if we miss something. I care about, I read every one of our reviews that comes in still to this day. And and I care about the number of people that come through the shop and what their purchase rate is, which relates to how they were treated. And and then also my office right now is is just off of our showroom, you know? And so there's this osmosis that happens and so the, that is that is maybe not quantifiable. So the 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 first thing I oh the other thing I care about is shipping accuracy. We ship the right thing to the right person and time. You know we we advertise same day shipping up until three p.m. But really, if the UPS truck is in our lot, we will stop them and we will get your order on that truck. You know, and oftentimes even if they've left. I'll throw it in the back of my Ford and I'll chase them down. So the, um, <laughs> the those those things I think are like the front line, especially for an e-commerce business, right? It's like again, eighty-six percent of our customers I'm never going to get to interact with in person. Unfortunately, you know the team isn't going to get to interact with them in person. And so when you open the box, when you interact with the shipping, when you interact with the email support, whatever it might be, if you got a question, a lot of people have pre-sales questions. You know that type of stuff is the front line. For the experience, nobody is going to be. Is, no, no advertising is important as a as a satisfied, happy customer. That you may feel important. Yeah, that's it's so important. So, how do you? How and I'm going to use the word scale, but how do you duplicate that? Because I know it's not just you at the shop anymore. So, how are you? Besides Overwatch with your with your close office, how are you conveying that? And again, not just through rules, but through why it's important and and why it why it makes them feel good. Yeah, it's the why. So, and you know the it's it's the people, right? It's like you got to hire well, and you have to. One of the things I've learned, and we can talk about this in general. I think that I've 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 adapted 
as a small business leader is that your job is chief systems officer and like chief repeater. <laughs> you know, you just and you just say the same thing over and over again and you and, and you'll see it and you see it in a number of small ways. And so, you know, when we bring somebody new on board and if I see something, I you know, I will I will I will explain why that small detail matters. You know, we still write a handwritten note for every customer when they buy a pair of boots. Every single one gets a handwritten note and it's custom and it says something about them. And if we talk to them on the phone, we include a detail about it. And you know, the my team here cares about this stuff close to as much as I do. You know, they're 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 fantastic. You know, I know that I can leave and I can not be here for two weeks and that they're gonna handle it and they're gonna treat people with the same amount of respect. It shows up in our customer reviews. You know, so when I again I read all the reviews, this is a great way of getting getting the pulse on the business. People mention the support that they received. And you, you know, if you have people that don't care about people, they're never gonna it's never gonna happen. So you I, I think that the short answer is is gonna be in terms of of hiring and then living the 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 values for them. Yeah. How, how do you spot that in hiring? I mean, do you have something you do or go through that helps you see that side of people? Oh man, this is a hard question. So we, we're, we're hiring right now for a customer support role and it's going to be our first one that's not physically in the shop all the time. And I almost want to pull up this. I am going to pull it up while we're chatting. I want to pull up the questions that we're including on the interview. And so, so some of this is you can... You know, look, I think for for lack of a scientific answer, people that like people can't hide it. You know, like, (laughs) does this person enjoy conversing with you? When you ask them about the issues of their previous companies and you ask about the things that brought them, you know, maybe happiness is not the right word, but like they, the, the things that they, that they enjoyed about their, their, their current or previous roles and what motivates them, they will mention this type of stuff. They will mention service. They will mention the way that they can, that there are people that just light up by, by helping people. And, you know, I don't have a perfect answer for it, to be honest. I don't have like the perfect interview question. Do you mind reading maybe two or three of what you think are are the more helpful questions that you have listed there? You know, I will. I am looking through them, and I'm and I'm and I'm realizing that they're they're much more. So so here's the thing: they're much more about role fit. So for instance, we ask people, we ask them point blank what motivates them, and what their ideal work scenario looks like in five years' time. You know, I mean, what what we're trying to suss out here is that like, do they imagine themselves in a role that's very different from this that doesn't interact with people, right? Or do they you know what's the story that they're painting? We then, we then, you know, we will, we will live problem solve. So one of the things that we'll do is we'll say, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a customer that comes in and asks, hey, are, are Jesus good? You're welted, <laughs> and it's something that I don't expect people to know who are interviewing if they don't, if they don't understand what that phrase means. And then how do they solve it? How do they, how do they go and find that information? How do they then process it and and communicate it back to the customer? And and then I think that the I'm looking at the sorry while I'm reading while I'm while I'm trying to read through these the and then the a third one would be to talk about I actually ask people when they've received what positive interactions they had with a business and so if you ask someone what what you know think of a think of a recent interaction with a business what was what was great or not great about it some people say things like man I bought this this, this DSLR. And it was awesome. And they talk about the features and how well it was made. And other people will say, I had this great experience meeting so-and-so at such and such business. And it's a reverse way of trying to figure out what their brain is attuned to. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, would, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's really neat how their response shows what they're paying attention to and what they care about too. I'd right. be the guy describing the DSLR features. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the hospitality part. And then kind of what are the systems or what are you adamant about and following for the financial health part? Well, the middle one was the brand, right? And so I'm going to, I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think that there's some important stuff there. I think that, and I guess the, all of these overlap, right? So, you know, I look at things like that. So in terms of, a, you know, statistics, I look at the return rate, product return rate, which is different than our product exchange rate. 
you know, and that that can be indicative of how well are we communicating things and, and what kind of experience are people having with, with the product. I look at the return purchase rate. And then, of course, we look at just in general, you know, our, our you know, web visitors and, and, and things like that. How well is our, is our marketing doing and, our, and, and, and brand perception? I think that the, the hard part about brand, because the financial part is the easiest part for me to answer, but I think the hard part about brand is that so much of it is, is squishy. You know, like I, I look at every piece of content that goes out. I don't make it all and I don't, and I, you know, now that's on, you know, Dimitri's is a genius on that on our team and, and, and I don't even concept at all, but I am, I am reviewing anything that goes out to make sure it, it lands. And early on, I was trying to get out of that role. And I think that that's a role that I'm going to probably always be at and, or it will take, you know, a few years, you know, for, for, for someone for probably Dimitri to be able to take that over completely. And because there are some things that are just in the creator slash founder's head. And it's, and it's, it's so hard. It's like, you know, we were writing a social post the other day and I was like, it's just not quite the way a Texan would say it, or I would say, you know, and so then they go in there and you, and you wordsmith it. I, I think Chisos is absolutely a representation of you. And so, like you said, I know you, but I couldn't speak for you like you. I couldn't, you know, say things the same way as you. So even somebody knowing you, I don't think it's good enough. Like you said, there's, there's nuance there that Chisos being a reflection of you, only you can correctly add that nuance in, right? What I've started to do is we, we, we put things in categories, right? So, you know, there are, you know, do I need to be writing? Is it the best use of my time? Are the companies, is the best use for the eyes of the company for me to be writing every single social media post? Probably not. And so what we do is that we've, we've developed categories. So there are categories that are like, here's how this thing is made. And here's some of the things that we write. And so like we have set things now that somebody can, can, can emulate. But then there are ones that are like waxing poetic about Texas or sharing our deep values. And those are founder posts. Those are things that, you know, you, nobody else is going to be able to, to write, at least not in the near future. And so I consider that part of my responsibility, but it's about systemizing that so that I'm not reviewing, you know, 40 social posts a month. I'm, I'm looking at six. Yep. So I've, I have something kind of like that for myself personally. I call it my content matrix. It's the things that I like to talk about. It's the ways that I talk about them. I can mix and match those two columns. And then I have some other things too, like end goals of a certain thread or email or whatever. And I've seen that I got that idea from, from other places as well. As you write that down and as you think about, I call them policies, things that are you can't bend the rules on. You have to do this when you're shipping a product. You know what I mean? Same day out if it's before three. Not bendable, not negotiable, bend heaven and earth. Are these getting codified anywhere? Are you building your Chisos playbook, or is this all just notes that people have and things? This is so I, I had I had some good training before two two jobs ago. I was a solutions consultant for a startup selling enterprise software to the Fortune 200. And when you're at that level, you've got to document everything. And I got that habit built into me. And so from the beginning of Chisos, when it was just myself. I started documenting things. And so we don't, we don't use anything very sophisticated. We use a tool called Slab. And so we have processes for here's how you pack and ship. Here's how you, here's how you use the proper tone to answer a customer support email. So for instance, here's, here's a small tidbit that was super helpful. When we, when we onboard someone to, to write emails to our customers, answer the question in a friendly tone, go back, add something friendly at the beginning, add something friendly at the end, make sure you use exclamation points, send, right? And it's it's crazy if if you just because if I, if someone writes me about like you know Goodyear Goodyear Channel well are Jesus boots Goodyear Channel well, yes Jesus boots are used Goodyear Channel well, and and actually we do this and this and this then I go back and I go howdy Frank thanks for writing in and asking us about this question and at the end we go hope you have a great day Frank you know you know if he's from Texas you know hook him horns or something right and man what a difference it makes to get that email from a company than just the answer yep I agree. But also, that is that is more Will. Like that's you. Also, I've I've jumped into <laughs> I've jumped into stuff with you before. I'm like Will, yada yada, and you're like, Hey man, how are you? And I'm like, Hey, I'm good. <laughs> so so I think that that is still. I mean, that's awesome. It's codified, but it's also further embodiment of 
the, the nuance that you're bringing to the culture and the brand that you're building. So to throw some other systems at me, so for our, our, our stack on this is so we use Slab for our SOPs. We use a tool called ClickUp to manage our tasks. ClickUp is fantastic. I, I moved from, you know, my evolution, I would say, is probably Trello to Asana and Asana to ClickUp. It's not perfect, but it's it's pretty good. And it allows for, you know, we have cadences for automatic tasks that have to be happening every week. We have cadences for ones that once you do this, we know that there's a six-week period till the next one is due. We have, you can, you can we do our, our meeting note taking in it. And because you can then link to the actual tasks. One of the things that I didn't like previously is we did meeting notes in Google Docs, but then you had to, you had to link to the task. But now if you take the notes in ClickUp, it has a little preview and it will tell you the status without you having to click out of the document. Oh, Nate just like embeds it right there. Exactly. It natively yep. embeds it. It's phenomenal. We use Help Scout to answer our emails. And, and, and my philosophy with tools is, is, is generally I try and do overall fewer is better, which is in conflict with my next rule, which is that do one thing really well. You know, this is where, you know, like Help Scout is not the most all comprehensive customer support tool, but it does do email support really well. And it allows you to link into you know, their Shopify profile. And, and, and those two things are really helpful to us. Slab does documents really well. You know, and it does, it's this narrow thing that does really well and it's easy to navigate. We can link out specific pages and I love it. ClickUp's trying to do everything, but they do, they do do the task really well and they do notes decently enough for us to like it. I'm trying to think of this other customer support world, but those, those, those are the primary things that we use in the customer support arena. My sentiments on ClickUp are the same. I have a very similar evolution. At Chess Group, we use Trello to document quality issues and tasks. And it was a little too hard to do tasks in Trello. We moved to Asana. And for some reason, I just didn't like it. We started using ClickUp here at KaneCast. And ClickUp was awesome. But because it could do everything, people started using it for everything. And then it just turned into like nobody would go to it because it was way too much going on. Like our quotes were there. Our cadences were there. Tasks. You would go there and see 120 things you had to do. And it was just overwhelming. And then everybody stopped using it. So I've actually got a guy right now who's cleaning it all up. And we're going to go back to just team execution and click up. Everything else, we we did it first. We created other spaces for it. So quality is actually in Trello because the Kanban works really well. And Trello forces you into Kanban. And then all the quote and all that stuff, we moved over to Pipedrive for us. And so now, now that we created a space for that stuff, hopefully we'll end up back there and a ClickUp is just team execution. So very similar. I understand exactly what you're saying there with the sentiments. Very powerful, but almost too general because it becomes everything. I think that's a great lesson, which is that you have to narrow it down. And so you go to this thing for one purpose, you know, and or maybe two, you know. Yeah, it's just interesting about how your brain like ring fences it. If it's looking at too much stuff, it 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 that's just it's, it's paradox <laughs> I'm out. Of choice. Yeah, I'm out. I'm done. Yep. So interesting. Okay. And then I caught Shopify. You kind of mentioned it in passing, but you run your your e-com store on Shopify. Yeah. I mean, if you want to just talk about other systems we use, I mean, you know, and then this is like the the final thing on on the on the kind of the health numbers that we look at. You know, like I said, I'm looking at return rate for purchases and return rate in terms of getting exchanges and and, and refunds, but I'm also looking at Generally, I look at obviously month to month top line, and then on an annual basis, it's that net profit on the business, right? Like those are these are like, this is like my true true Norse. You know, we're 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 not a super radically we're not a we're not a complex business. You know, it's like we buy thing, we 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 make something for one price, then we sell it for a higher price. The challenge with us is that you know, and this is actually an interesting thing about you know running the business is that we do the opposite of planned obsolescence. Like once you buy a pair of boots, you will have it forever. You can repair it and you, you don't need to come back to me and buy another one because it's your boot is shot, you know, at least not for like 40 years. <laughs> and, and so we've had to think about, you know, one, how many new people do we need to reach every year? So marketing and brand is a huge piece of, of the business importance. And so the things I track there, by the way, are output and in terms of content we produce and then getting in front of new audiences. So this is doing podcasts. This is potentially getting a YouTuber to talk about us. I don't care. I do care because I have an ego, but like we, we're not top line tracking the viewership on our own content. Because I, one of the things I think of is that 
we're it's the long game. So I want a library of content on YouTube because we've learned that our customer goes, oh, I've heard it. Someone told me about Chisos. Let me go to YouTube, Chisos Boot Reviews. Or let me go to Google, Chisos Boot Reviews. And so what I want is I want a bunch of random people on the internet reviewing us. And I want a bunch of our content, which is like where we cut open our competitors and we blow up our boots and we tell you how they're made, you know? And so I don't care if this week it gets 10,000 views. I care that the quality of that content is good so that when our potential customer is going to YouTube to look for a reason to buy us, it's there. You know, our our customer journey is probably very similar to to most who are in the consumer business, which is that someone (laughs) decides they want it from an emotional basis to go, that's sexy. I want to be a cowboy. Then their brain goes, okay, well, now you need to justify it. And so we go, here's all the reasons, right? Here's how we make it. Here's the small business values. Here's the impact on the community. You know, all the things, right? You know, and and I want to make that easily accessible. Yeah. And it has the other benefit of creating a story that's easy to tell for word of mouth marketing. I know I found myself, oh, you're, you know, somebody says they want boots. They're visiting Austin. I, I've brought, you know, people to your shop and they say, I want boots. Like, oh, we got to go to Chisos then because they're made differently. And then, again, I don't know. I've never cut your boots open. I've never done it, but I've heard the story. It's easy to tell. I believe it. I buy into the culture. And so I repeat it over and over and over and, you know, bring people to your shop. So. It's a great point for marketing and branding is that I try and put things in, I think about cocktail party. So if someone's at a cocktail party and someone comments on your boots or they mention cowboy boots, what can you flip out in you know one or two sentences that makes the cool guy at the party, for lack of a better term? Like, you know, you, you're sharing information with people, you're telling them about something they haven't heard of. And it's kind of like a fun piece of information, right? It's 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 like a did you know type thing. And so we try and take our content and and give people those little cocktail party snippets. Yep. And it works. You've got me parroting it all over the place. <laughs> but <laughs> well, for a good table, reason. The table stakes is it has to be a good product. You know, that's that's the baseline that, you know, I'm working on a on a college course actually, we should talk about offline with with some students in, in Fort Worth. And so I've got a list of you know, here's the characteristics on, a, on an e-commerce product if I were to do it again from scratch. and But some of it is that like when you get into branding, like the table stakes is your product's got to be good and got to be, you know, have a differentiator. You know, otherwise, yep. what are we doing here? Yeah, it becomes a short game. Basically, have a big spike, but then all the reviews come in and everything comes out and you're nothing and falls off the, the board. So you got to be able to actually hold your word over time. So. Other, other tools that we can't live without are Airtable. And, you know, so Airtable is a great example. So just, you know, in terms of size of our business, right? I mean, your listeners probably tell, you know, we're we're not massive, right? We're, you know, we're we're three years out of the gate, low seven figures. And so we're still at this at this growth phase where we're building systems. And one of the things that we needed is, well, everybody told me we needed an, an ERP. And ERPs have their place. And it depends on what kind of business you are. But they're very expensive. And you know, if you're getting the value out of it, great. But one of the things that, you know, uh, I realized I, I did interviews or, you know, calls with like 12 different companies. And I every time I would ask these guys, I was like, can you tell me why I need this? And like, they just couldn't quite do it. And I would use the products and they were just a pain in the ass. And, and finally, I was like, okay, I fit the process enabled me to figure out exactly what we needed, right? Like I needed a purchasing system that would then allow me to track those and then convert them into you know the POs into invoices and then receive the inventory and be able to see you know at a at, at a glance where the status of all of our inventory was that's the, that's really what i needed from from the purchasing side once it got in our system we still use shopify to handle most of our in, in manual accounts to handle our, our our inventory accounts and i was able to look at all these products, take the best ideas from them, and then open up Airtable and build the damn thing. And we also, we built it, well, I mean, you know, that'll tune my own horn a little bit, but like, this is what the workshop now uses. They used to be like, this is how much money you owe us. And now they go, would you open up your Airtable and tell us how much money you owe us? Because <laughs> <laughs> they trust our system better than theirs. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of Airtable. We use it as well. I don't think you get so big that you can't use it. It's, it's so powerful and versatile. And my favorite thing about it is the 
to make changes is I've made changes literally walking down the sidewalk in downtown Austin, got a call from a guy, hey, we really need to start tracking scrap numbers. I pulled out my phone. I literally added the column, changed the type, put it in the right view as I was walking and then sent him a Slack. And I said, hey, scrap's in there. You can start using it. Again, that's not that's not the the ideal. But the fact that you can fix something that easily without even a computer and you mirror that with normally products that have that are also not very feature rich. I mean, Airtable does all of our production tracking better than our ERP can because it can automate out the reports it can create all the graphs, send certain reports to certain managers. It gives us snapshots and it's all automated. They got the dashboard feature now, which we have up live at our plants. We have those in our plants now on a big screen. So all for a, you know, whatever it is, $20, $30 a month application is incredible. Yeah, if you, and if, if you're listening, you don't know about Airtable, look into it. It also, like it, like Josh said, it generates our PDFs. It, it We can send views to our facilities and different providers, different vendors. You can create interface views. Like you can see the spreadsheet. We have it. We have like for, you know, we have a spreadsheet view, which is the one I'm most comfortable with. We have the Kanban for where it is in the process. We then have like an individual record interface that someone can click around like it's, you know, an app. It's great. Super great. Airtable, you should pay us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, okay. Sponsor the I, podcast, Airtable. Sponsor the there, podcast. There we go. I, I cut you off. Were you, you, did you have more after that? Yeah, I mean, just just trying to go down the list. I mean, Shopify is what we we build the, the platform of the store on. It handles all of our orders. It handles the website. It also is our system of record for our, our inventory, which is admittedly... Arguably not the best practice, but it works. We also use it for you know it's got plenty of apps that that plug into it. It's 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 it's, it's good. It's good. You know that's where I'll stand. Airtable Airtable is very good. Help Scout is good. We use Zero. You could also you know use QuickBooks. I think six one way half a dozen the other. Clavio for our for emails. You know driving demand and and automated follow ups. Gusto is a great people system. It makes it really easy to handle payroll and, and benefits for small business. Slab for SOPs, you know, Google Google Docs for everything else, and Dropbox for our media. I'm trying to think. I think if I were to tell someone off the bat, like if you if you take the here's the thing that's crazy. I mean, uh, uh, this is mostly around product business and e-commerce, but like that stack right there just took like a 10 person team and enables you to run it all yourself with no employees, you know, when you're getting going. And then it, and then it, those tools also are, are pretty well designed to grow with the business. I think that, you know, by the time we get to, well, a lot of, I know a lot of people over past, past eight figures that are still using those and rock and rolling. And, and even these massive companies use, still use Shopify to, for order, order processing. Yeah. I've heard Shopify can scale quite large. I mean, all of them can. It's just a matter of how complex you want to make your business, but one of the things I've thought about when I was picking tools is that there, you know, because I'm, you know, I, I have shiny object syndrome, is that I, I try and look at, you know, what's the stability of the business itself? You know, how long has it been around? Are they enterprise class? That's the nice thing about Airtable. Airtable is enterprise class. You know, one of the early problems with Shopify, oh my God, like 2019, they rolled out a change on Black Friday. You know, it's like, guys, you realize, <laughs> right, people build their entire systems around this. They don't do version control. They're running it like a consumer company. I think they've, they've wisened up because the, the backlash on that year was just massive. It's like, what are you doing? So do they have good enterprise practices? And then what's the, what's the market for developers to work on it if you need to do modifications or, or things like that? You know, is, is this the industry leader? And so there's just tens of thousands of people who are experts on it? Or is it some little niche thing and there's like one guy, you know, that, that may or may not be able to do what you need? So those are, those are some of the things that, you know, maybe in my younger years, I didn't actually think about when I was evaluating software. Yep. I know that's something that Airtable just this year is starting to take more seriously is building their community of developers, both building Airtable for clients and also building tools that plug into Airplay. Or I'm sorry, Airtable. I know that they, I, I've actually had a call with Airtable end of last year as they basically hired a guy to do just that. And he's reaching out to power users and power builders and trying to get feedback on that community. So I'm interested to see what that leads to in a year. It takes a while, a year to two years, what they start rolling out to help businesses build because they're definitely taking it more seriously. 
Fantastic. Yeah. So that's the tech. A couple different things I wanted to bring up. One of them is speaking of your branding and a little bit towards the maybe physical equipment side, you've got your own studio that you built there, correct? Where you can do product photos and some of your YouTubes. Yes. So yes. so why did why did you do that and how did you do that? It's a lot easier than you think. We're small and we're fighting these these big giant companies, legacy companies. And so the way you beat a legacy company, I think, is that there's three broad areas. One, you build something better. Two, you move faster. And three, you market the things that they cannot say, right? So what can these big guys not say? They can't say they're a small business. Their small founders can't get on the mic and the video. You know, some of them have tried to copy us and it was <laughs> utter, utter, literally, it was an utter fail. They were like, never again, get this guy off the camera. He's, you know, he's a New York private equity yeah. money guy who. It's like putting me in front of the camera trying to talk uh, about the boots. No, 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 no. <laughs> You're principal and you have a soul. You know, some, some of these guys just, they just don't really care about the business. They, they, they're there to make money and it comes only money and it comes through you know it comes through and 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 if that's you it's fine more power to you but just don't you can't get on cameras <laughs> so you don't you don't, you don't. <laughs> but we we have that we have that advantage and the other piece then is and i wanted to, and we wanted to showcase the different the different our differences and we can do things really quick we have an idea on monday and we can publish the video on tuesday well, fuck we could we could publish it monday and so then the, what I learned very quickly, though, is that we do post-purchase surveys and we also just talk to, to our customers. And so we found out that what was happening is people would go, they would either find us on YouTube or they would hear about us and then go to YouTube to research us. And so we were like, well, obviously, we just need to give them more content. And now we have people that are like, hey, so I went and I watched all 40 hours of your content and then, <laughs> and then I purchased the boots, you know, and I'm like, amazing. Let's give them more. And so this is something that we're 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 leaning into. You know, the I I I wrote a they've got a there's a whole plan for how you launch a grassroots business. You know, one of the things to, to point out here to the guests is that like we didn't raise any money. You know, we true bootstrapped this, you know. And so the we had to think of ways that we could market that wouldn't cost us huge sums of, of capital because we we can't compete in, in that world. I mean, I, you know, like one of our competitors you know, spends a million dollars a day just on Facebook retargeting and Facebook ads. Like we're, we're just, it's not possible. And so what we can do is create content and that's shareable, just like you were saying about the talking about it at a, at a cocktail party. And so in order to, 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 to make it, you know, what, what I invested in is like a good DSL L cam DSLR is going to cost you like four grand, you know, which I get as a, it's a chunk of change, but it's a hell of a lot more, you know, capturable than, you know, what it used to be to have to build a studio. We've got a room here that we put up those like, they're blackout curtains, but we put on all the walls and it absorbs sound. It also creates a nice backdrop, you know, for like 80 bucks, I've got this thing that, you know, attaches to the ceiling that allows you to roll down multiple backdrops. For another 100 bucks, we got some good lights, you know, and, and then you're you're off to the record. I mean, you're off to the races. I mean, you can you can even get like light. I have, I got a light box also that you know I was using in the early days before we even had that set up. But the 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 I think that if I if you're investing in in content, you know, even more than the camera, the number one thing I would do is get some good mics. Get a get a road mic system. Audio matters more than anything else. Anything else is does someone want to actually listen to the thing? Are you easy to understand? It just gives you authority. It makes it an enjoyable listening experience, and and you can do stuff right in your backyard. I mean, you know, we we did a shoot where we we got these boots that are made of rough out. They're not suede. You know, rough out is stronger and thicker. And people were like, "Is it waterproof?" And I was like, "Well, hell, I can walk outside, spray them with a water hose, and video it drying, and put that on YouTube." And it's you know, ten thousand views later. <laughs> you know, there you go. That's that's great. So I mean. You're dropping a lot of a lot of marketing knowledge. To be honest with you, more than more than I thought you were going to, and I'm, I'm actually learning quite a bit. Is this the, the way you naturally think? Like my my mind is naturally systems, right? I didn't ha I study it, but I didn't have to like dive into it. Is this the way you naturally work, or is this some experiences that you had that taught you these little things that you don't really think about anymore? And it's just your your natural take on business. This is my automatic brain. So I 
I understand, I think, how someone is going to perceive something automatically. And then I just go and I just do things. And I don't necessarily think about gatekeeping. And I don't think about what I'm not supposed to do. And, you know, I think I was homeschooled as a kid. I think I credit that a lot to that, you know. And so I, one thing that's funny is I actually have had taken the time because friends have asked me for their businesses. And so I, I actually wrote, you know, like a seven-page PDF on how to launch a grassroots business with no money. And so that helped me take some of these ideas and realize what I was doing automatically and trying and, and talking to people like like to to give you know to go just some more off the cuff things here you know after we talk about product which is its own list of requirements like you got to build a real brand like throw the word authentic out the window anytime someone tries to pitch me with authentic i go screw you because you're <laughs> you're clearly faking it which yep. is why you had to use that word to begin with you know and my response is just be real you know like when in terms of the, the video quality it's like if you have to just take your phone and video yourself, and you're like, well, it doesn't look like professional, like blah, blah, blah. No, 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 that's great, because it's real, right? And people are starved for real, you know? And so you can use that, you know? Jesus' motto is, do right, love Texas, which is, you know, it, which means that, you know, listen to that little voice inside you, you know what the right thing to do is. And the other part of it is that we're just, we, I am Mr. Way Too Proud of Texas guy from the old Bud Light commercials from the 90s. <laughs> And everybody was like, don't do that. You have to be a broad market. And what I found, other than the fact that knowing that half of the total addressable markets in Texas anyway, the the other side of it is that I get people who are like, I'm from Vermont and I don't even care about Texas. I just like that you like something so damn much. Yeah, people, it's attractive. People connect with it, right? Yeah. It's just like, you know, like, I don't know, what is Vermont sell like molasses or something like just whoever if there's someone in Vermont is like this is the best molasses you can get because it's from Vermont I'm like hell yes I want yeah. that molasses don't give me the I, generic stuff absolutely I I see not only in branding but just in beliefs just I respect somebody who disagrees with me and believes something but is just really into it and adamant and you know not not mean or stubborn about it but just like I really believe this I wasn't taught this I'm not regurgitating something I heard and I'm like I respect that like I want to hear that opinion and you know, I was like that too. I have to admit, there's two things you've said that are similar that I struggled with in my early years. And that was trying to be big and trying to be bland. Because in studying business, as I was in my early 20s, that was what did well. So if, you know, selling, if I wanted to, you know, grow a business, I, okay, their websites are blue and white. Why? Because those colors build trust. And so I'm going to build a blue and white simple with with industrial photos. Like, and I and I would copy it, trying to look like we were bigger. And obviously, I'm going to lose that game every time because we're not bigger. Like you said, they're spending a million dollars a day, right? The the companies that we were competing with were literally 200 million to 500 million dollar distributors that had hundreds of locations. Like we didn't look big because we had Mexico and China at the bottom with it, with like, you know, it didn't make us look big. It made us look small. And so playing that game was different. And I had a number of, of ahas and conversations like this. For example, you know, again, even when I, I tried to do a newsletter a long time ago, and I was in finance and I tried to make it look very much like Bank of America or Citigroup research. And it came across bland and, you know, the blue and white and simple. And and people that were growing their newsletters, it looked like either personal emails or it, that you were using handwriting fonts and weird colors. And it was it was them. It was it was like you said, it was truly authentic. It was an expression of who they were. And I was trying to be an expression of some other multi-million dollar conglomerate. All of what I tried failed and finally started to realize I have to play the only card I have, which is that I'm small and I'm not going to get a lot of the business I'm going after, but I'll get the ones for sure. And I won't lose them that are looking to do business with a small business that knows their name when they call, that knows all my part numbers by heart, that can literally tell me the quality history on them for the last 10 years because you know we, they only have 100 customers. And so the goal was then, okay, where do I find more of these guys? And it, it was... It was hard. I fought that lesson for years. I kept thinking, nah, I really want to... And you know, and the, the common advice is niche down, niche down, niche down. And it's so easy to hear. But then whenever I would go to actually do something, I would be like, well, how do I reach more people? And how do I make this so that no matter what industry you're in, you're going to want to buy you know, from me? And I probably still struggle with it, to be honest with you. But it's, it's so powerful to see it so clearly in these examples like you that reinforce with me 
you know, Will, I, I introduced you as the chief Texan, right? And so like that, and to see how well that plays with non-Texans, even non-Americans, with just everybody that meets you, like, I don't have to be what you're marketing to, but I can love who you are in the, in the marketing that you're doing. And because of that, want to be associated with Chisos, right? And so just a huge lesson there for, yeah, for me and everybody else. One of the things you're, you're saying makes me think of the Stoics, you know, the obstacle is the way, right? You know, like I'm small, but now the small is actually your advantage, you know, and, and you can use it as a way to share your values. Like, I'll, I'll try and make this story quick. Two contrasts is that I bought something recently from actually a, you know, a, a, it's a small business, but they're, you know, in the, in the 30 million annual revenue range, about like $800 worth of gear off their e-commerce website on a Friday afternoon and I paid for expedited shipping. And, you know, Friday it didn't ship, Saturday it didn't ship, which is like, okay, this is the holidays. And, but like, you know, we, we ship on Saturdays during the holidays because it's the holidays. Again, small business. And then Monday it didn't ship. And so Tuesday I reached out to their, to their customer support, which got back to me, you know, that night and was like, yeah, well, the, you know, the thing is you paid for expedited and that goes into a different queue and that queue is backed up because it's the holidays. So, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> oh, I man. paid extra to, and it's and your excuse is that because it's the busy time of year, it's you know it's going to take longer and you didn't solve this. I didn't oh, care. And the so, load balance. It, here's here's the flip side, which is that we had we had done pre-orders on a specialty boot that we were launching and it got hung up in customs. And then it got out of customs finally, and it was sitting at a, at, a, at a FedEx distribution center. And they were like, yeah, because it's backed up, yada, 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 we're not going to be able to ship it to you for another week. And now here's the thing. Our customers had waited two months for this. Potentially, you could be like, okay, what's another week? But I was, I was like, this, is, this isn't going to happen. And so I got on, on Instagram stories, and I was like, listen, guys, your boots are at the border we're going to go get them. And so, you know, we took my truck. I rented a big ass trailer. We drove down there. We loaded them on it. We drove them back to Austin and we shipped them out the same damn day. And it's like big companies not going to do that. You know, right. not only they're not going to do it. And so this is one of those things where it's like big company maybe would have had, you know, the weight to throw around even to get their order out sooner. But like the point is, like you as a small business can do that. And people know that, you know, the part numbers, like you said, you know, the history and you care enough to go make sure that that customer gets their, gets their product when they, when they, when they, you told them they would. Yeah. Well, I mean, all of this goes to show why Chisos is popular here, why it's probably going to continue growing. I mean, there's so much we didn't get into. Well, we're going to have to do a second one because <laughs> I, I want, I mean, I, I want to hear about uh, the grassroots product marketing. I want to hear about your cadences that you had set up and, and click up. I want to hear about, and maybe you can actually spend a few minutes on this, but more about where you're headed. Because you're, like, like, like you said, you do events, you do music events at your Chisos location. You do just guys sitting around the fire. You're using it to build community. I've heard some of your plans for the future. I don't know what you want to get into and what you don't, but just the fact that you are heading somewhere and, and the fact that you've got Disney World next or Walt Disney's plan next to your plan <laughs> tells me that even what I know is probably only two nodes of, of 20. So like, wh where is Chisos going? What are you building? Yeah, we're, we're building, we're building a community based around people that care about craft and quality and also care about community. And, you know, the, the stages of that are going to be that we've, you know, we're building a house, right? And so we've, the foundation is laid really, really well. You know, now it's about how we framing this thing out. And so that's where the systems come into place, you know, training up the team, giving them the tools so that I don't have to be listening to the showroom. You know, I don't have to really now, but like every category of the business and then building those reports, you know, we, we didn't really talk about that, but like we have, you know, we have, we do, I do do weekly check-in meetings, but the requirement of every meeting is that there's a notes document that hits certain points that is filled out ahead of time. And I read that. And then, so the meetings used to be an hour and now they're eight minutes, you know, talking about a specific thing, right? And so the next stage of that is filtering those reports up to dashboards and having, and so what I want is a, is a anyway, the point is, is a whole, there's a whole cadence here. So that enables, you know, my focus to be on, on, you know, product innovation. We're going to, we're building out brand content. You know, we're taking a, we're taking a page out of Red Bull long-term in that book. We've got a physical destination. I could talk to you next podcast about how we're, 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 you know, the, the best marketers in the world are Colts. 
and, <laughs> and, and how we're lifting some things from them. And, 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 and so it's, it's taking everything that we that we're doing and then how do we, how do we scale it to the next level? I, I have a plan in my head and, and partially written down that's, that's 10 X where we are right now. But my goal is to double and focus on the double, right? Because every time you double, your systems just collapse on themselves. And so I don't want to triple and quadruple and, and, and then have to be doing cleanup duty. I want to be just above the double where we introduce, you know, we refine everything so that we don't lose that soul. You know, like we don't, you know, we will always send handwritten notes. We will always send it. This is the thing. Like, and people are, you know, the team sometimes like shakes their head at me and they go, no, we will always do handwritten notes because it forces us to stay true to that core value of focusing on the experience of our customer. And if we make sure that that's there as we scale, everything else will fall into place. Well, Will, thanks for sharing so much about your inside playbook with us. Really appreciate it. I've been wanting to have you on for a while. I just had to get warmed up a little bit before I could have enough expertise to unlock your some of your wisdom here. So thanks for joining me today, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. It's been great chatting.